feet. So I'm reading two passages. Uh, the first one uh, can be found on page 786 of the Pew Bibles. Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, <coughs> trying, <coughs> excuse me, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go, go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them with the word of God. And the second passage is Ephesians chapter 1. If anyone finds it before me, you can yell out the... Thank you. I've gone too far. Gone far too far. Um, 8.27... So Ephesians chapter 1, reading, um, I'll read verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, <clears throat> to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God, of, the God and Father of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, who has believed us Sorry, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the will, the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be, might be for the praise of his glory. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the it's good to be with you. A very encouraging weekend and uh, to see some faces. I even found someone at the 1030 now. 845 service I met that I actually grew up with his daughter, so it was good to do that. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. That'll be our passage this morning, so please take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to that. Um, we'll be working from there and flitting around just a little bit. But before we go any further, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and praise you that we have your word in a way that is accessible, in a language that we can understand. And yet, Father, we know that without your spirit, uh, the words on this page mean nothing to us. Uh, please help us, we ask, to see more of who you are, what you're doing in this world, and what you will one day do. And so we pray for your help now, for we rely upon you, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, missions is hard work. And when I think about missions, I'm not talking just about missions overseas on an aeroplane or a boat, but here in our own backyard. Uh, because as you were hearing me say yesterday, wherever there are Christians, we've got a mission uh, to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, wherever God has placed us. Uh, but there are plenty of discouragements, plenty of reasons not to be engaging in mission. Um, it's hard work. But if it's hard work, why do it? Well, the short answer is we've been commissioned. We've been commanded by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to tell the people around us, wherever we are, about the Lord Jesus. So think for a moment about the role that God has given to the church. Uh, please turn over your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. And just look at the, the words that Paul writes here. And some of these words you might actually find quite striking when you think about them. Ephesians 3 and verse 10. And Paul writes, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you might have looked at those words and you go, hang on, it's through the church? Through the church, God is actually declaring to the, to the heavenly bodies, uh, to the watching world, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He does it through you and me. And you think, hang on, I belong to the church. I know what I'm like. You mean God is actually taking me and using me to declare his wisdom to the watching world? And sometimes the church actually, it's on the front page of the newspaper for all the wrong reasons, because of some sort of scandal or something, some embezzlement or something like that. And you actually think, wow, through the church, God, you are doing marvelous things we're making God known it's hard work but we need to keep going at it because this is God's mission this is God's purpose so if it's hard work why do it let me just pick up three brief reasons this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 and and this first reason might be one that you might actually find quite surprising and it's simply this God has already chosen his people God has already chosen who will belong to him Please look at verse 5 in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul tells us this very clearly. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
Now that's simply stunning. God chooses the people who will belong to him. Yes, from our perspective, it seems like we were the ones that did the choosing. But from God's perspective, he says, no, I am the one. I am the one that calls you to myself. Think of that verse that says, we love because he first loved us. We didn't go searching for God. God actually came and he sought us out. Now, the fact that God does the choosing doesn't mean that we can say at some point in our life, well, you know, I can go off and I can live in whatever way I want and then when I die, God will welcome me into heaven with open arms. No, the Bible teaches two truths that you need to hold in tension. On the one hand, God chooses us to belong to himself, but on the other hand, we have a responsibility to keep on following Jesus. We can't say, well, look, I'm going to sin it up and it'll all work out in the end. We can't turn our backs and be complacent. We can't, we can't place our salvation in danger. We have a responsibility. But look at when God did this. Look at when God chose us. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. That means we had no hand in it. To be holy and blameless in his sight. That's a staggering thought. We had no hand in God's choice. Think, for example, of Jacob and Esau in Romans 9. And what Paul writes, he says, Before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. So, throughout the Bible, we see that God has a, a history of choosing people to belong to himself. Think of Abraham, probably from a family of moon worshippers, and, and then Isaac and Jacob and, and, and so on, and all that line right through to Christ. Think of Israel as a nation. She didn't suddenly say one morning, you know, let's go and find the true God uh, of the world. No, God appeared to Moses, the burning bush and so on, and God chose Israel to be a light to the nations, to be salt and light. God has this history of choosing the people that belong to himself. And, and, and since God does the choosing, it means he's the one who initiates it. Salvation starts with God and it ends with God. He's the one that sees to it that a person is called to himself and then they live their lives following Jesus and when they die, they're still following Jesus. They're preserved to the very end. Now some Christians object to this. They say, look, I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches I don't like this idea of God choosing who will belong to him. It's, it's not fair. But the Bible is never uncomfortable with that teaching. It's, it's there quite plainly in the scriptures. I, I'm someone that didn't always believe that. Um, but when I was at theological college, I had to do some reading. And the more I read, the more I thought, this is actually true. I, I objected at first. But the more I read the Bible, I thought, no, this is what it says. And so some Christians say, oh, look, I believe God's sovereign. God's in charge of everything. And you say to them, right, do you believe that God is so in charge, so sovereign that he chooses the people that belong to himself? And they say something like, look, God's sovereign, but he's not that sovereign. But I don't think you can do that from the Bible's perspective. God's either in charge of everything, and that means everything, or he's not in charge at all. You can't look at God's sovereignty and say terms and conditions apply. It doesn't work like that. 
God is actually in charge. And that's why when you look at the whole picture of the Bible, you can see the way in which in his sovereign purposes, he's working everything out. Sometimes we, we look at what God does and we scratch our heads and we say, God, why did you do it that way? But we know that, it, that in those things that we think don't make sense to us, God is at work. And that one day we'll see how he perfectly has worked everything out in history for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. So God chooses, but we are responsible. Now, what does that do for mission? That means that we tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not like salespeople that say, right, please, sign up on the dotted line here and now, and we use tricks to get them to sort of agree to becoming Christians. Some churches do that. Some churches use gimmicks uh, and so on. But we're not like that. The Apostle Paul actually renounced those sort of things in, in his day. When we go out with the gospel and we tell people about Jesus, we're calling people everywhere to come to put their faith in the Lord Jesus and we know that somewhere in that there are people whom God is calling to belong to himself. So think of Paul, Silas and Timothy, Acts chapter 18. Uh, they're there in Corinth. Uh, they're getting a pretty hard time. Uh, they could have gone down to the coast for a nice holiday, uh, the uh, Greek equivalent of Port Macquarie or something like that and had a nice time. But no, they stay there. And one night, the Lord Jesus appears to Paul in a vision. And this is what we, uh, he says to him. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. And what, what the Lord Jesus is saying there, that there's many people in Corinth who've not yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus. God has appointed them to believe, and yet somebody has to tell them about Jesus. And that somebody is going to be Paul and Silas and Timothy. So what does Paul do? Does Paul say, well, look, God's chosen his people in Corinth, therefore I'll go somewhere else? No, look at, listen to verse 11. So he stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. He stays and teaches them the gospel. And so the doctrine of God's choosing, God's election, is actually an incentive for mission. We know there are people in Port Macquarie who don't have their faith in the Lord Jesus yet and they're waiting for someone like you and I to tell them. I mean, I, that was sort of my story as a, as a, very, as a young man. I could, I could feel God's, from a non-Christian background, I could feel God's spirit niggling at me, telling me that, the, that there was a God and I should do something about it. And yet I was waiting to hear. And it wasn't until I was 17 that God led me to someone who told me what, what the gospel was, what Jesus had done. And I went, yes, that's it. I'd be stupid to say no to this. Now, what made me do that from a non-Christian background? It was the Spirit of God at work in me, calling me to himself. And there are people all around us right now whom God is calling and they're waiting for someone to go and tell them about Jesus, whether it be here at home or whether it be overseas. And so that's why Paul stays for a year and a half. God's mission cannot fail it can't fail there are lots of things in this world that can fail you know your heart can fail your body can fail you can you know sort of get a poor result in an exam you can lose a job but god's mission can't fail because it's god's mission now the problem is that we don't know who it is whom god has called to himself people don't walk around with a sign on their forehead tattooed that says you know god's called me please tell me about jesus so we tell everybody. We tell anyone that will listen. And the only way we can know that someone does belong is they turn to Jesus. 
in genuine repentance and faith and follow him all the days of, of their life. It's hard work. But what keeps us going is knowing that God is at work, that this is God's mission. Because if God was not sovereign, there will be times when the temptation to give up would be incredibly strong and we just walk away from it. So that's the first reason, the fact that God has chosen people to belong to himself. The second reason, and it's shorter, is this, that we have the best news in the world. Come back to Ephesians 1, please. Look at verse 7 and listen to the, to the staggering language here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's very easy for us to forget the power and the beauty and the glory of the gospel and the way in which it transforms people. Now, you look at me this morning. You may not believe this. You're actually looking at a 40-year-old man. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, my body has aged, so that I look like I'm 57 on the outside. But it was 40 years ago I became a Christian. And I found that the further I move away from that point the easier it is to forget the wonder and the beauty of the transforming power of the gospel and the way it changed me and the way it changes other lives. Because there are people right now throughout the world that are going down to rivers, they're washing themselves, trying to get rid of their sins. People are going on pilgrimages, they're fasting, they're doing all sorts of crazy things. Why? Because they think that maybe somehow when they die they might have a better life in the world to come. But friends, We've got the answer here. We've got the cure for sin here. It's not us. It's the message of the gospel that's come to us through Jesus. That through his atoning death, through his resurrection, through the fact that he's coming again, that's where hope lies. And we live in a country today where I think there's an increasing loss of hope in Australia. We've got the medicine that millions of Australians desperately need. But it's very easy, I think, to forget, well, to think, well, somebody else can do it. I'll just sit back and enjoy what I'm doing. But you can't do that. When you know about Jesus, when you've got the very best news in the world, you want others to know. Suppose you're a scientist and you've got to work tomorrow and you discover the cure for cancer. What are you going to do? Say to a colleague, oh, can you put the kettle on for morning tea? No. And you'll be ringing the newspapers and, you know, sort of, I found it, I've cracked it, Eureka. You, you tell that news, friends, we've got the best news in the world even better than a cure for cancer because this brings people back into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an extraordinary privilege. And God's gifted each of us in different ways to do those things. You ask me to go door knocking, I'll do it. Don't always find it easy sometimes. You ask my wife to go door knocking, she'll just run a million miles. But you get my wife and you put her in a small group of, uh, say, Chinese ladies uh, she'll talk to them about Jesus because that's where she's comfortable. We're each geared and, and wired in different ways. And so we need to use our gifts together so that people get to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that's going to mean being in the, in the background, doing support work so that others can do the work. I was in a church last year in, in um, Victoria. And on a Saturday mornings, uh, once a month, the local Rotary runs a barbecue. But twice a year, the local Rotary gives that barbecue spot over to this church. Now, some of the men are really good at, at, at burning um, food, uh, so they don't barbecue. What do they do? They talk to people that come for the barbecue. You know, I think they charge a dollar for a sausage sizzle, cheaper than rotary. So these men 
their gift is talking to the men, but they need someone to cook the sausages. And so blokes there that might not be that gifted with speaking, they do the sausage cooking and so on. And that, that combination of those two together means that relationships, relationships get built and the gospel goes out. So we need to use our gifts. We need, we don't, we, we, we need to be careful we don't despise those who can't uh, engage in evangelism as naturally as other people. We need to work together so that people get to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, as I say, we do that in different contexts. Again, you ask my wife to do something up front in church, she'll freeze. You ask your teacher kids club, well, she's at home and uh, doing it well. So she's doing a great job. Let me uh, just uh, tell you that this morning. So friends, what I'm trying to say is we need to think about what we do as a church. Because in the days before you had satellites and, uh, and GPSs and so on, Ships used lighthouses, like one at Point Tacking. A lighthouse would shine out and say, there's danger here, go this way, and so on. What's a church? It's a lighthouse. It, it says to the watching world, there is hope in this dark world. There's hope beyond death. There's Jesus. And that's what we need to be, a lighthouse, shining out with God's glory, saying to the watching world that there is hope, that you don't have to despair, well, and we have to be salt and light in doing that. But please be warned, Satan hates the gospel going out. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, please, and look at verse 11. Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Satan doesn't want this to succeed. And so Paul warns the Ephesians and us, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Missions is hard work, and Satan will do all that he can to stop it. Sometimes, for example, he'll try and divide a church. You know, he'll create a controversy in the church, and they split. Sometimes it's over something as simple as the colour of the carpet, you know, or the way morning tea is done, or somebody will be offended by what somebody else did or they don't like the pastor and so satan's at home and he does that he loves that sort of thing friends we have to stay united around the gospel because mission is hard work rescuing people is hard work and isn't it interesting when the lord jesus appeared to paul in corinth did you notice what the lord jesus did he did not take away the opposition he let it remain for his sovereign purposes he knows that it's there, and yet he lets it remain. And somehow through those difficulties and oppositions, Paul gets the gospel out, and somehow the purposes of the Lord Jesus are achieved because God is at work. The third and final reason for engaging in mission is this. God has revealed the future to the church. One day the Lord Jesus will return. And one day, if, if we're alive at that point, that will be a day of inexpressible joy. And every celebration we've ever taken part in in life is just, just a dress rehearsal for that great and glorious moment, a, a, a joy that will outstrip any joy that you might ever have known. So look at verse 9, please. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. This is back in chapter 1. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and all things on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's where history is heading, bringing everything together under the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, the future might be a mystery to our uh, Prime Minister and Treasurer and Opposition Leader. It's not a mystery to us. We can go to, go to them right now and say, we know what the future looks like. Why? Because God has graciously revealed it to us as a church. We know that one day, everything is going to be summed up under the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, it's the pinnacle of God's purposes. It's all bound up with Christ. That's why we engage in mission. It can't fail. So when you get involved in God's mission, you're actually getting involved in the greatest enterprise in history. The most exciting thing in history, I think. Because it's God's work. It's God's mission. And because Jesus is building his church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, sometimes um, you might think that they are. Sometimes you might think that Satan is somehow succeeding in this world, but the Bible tells us that he doesn't, that he's defeated in the end. You know, our media loves to pump out the lie that says that the church in the Western world is, is a dinosaur. It's a relic of a bygone age. And so the, the world would say to us, look, this would make a great community centre. Why not just sell these buildings, sell the land next door, etc., and uh, pump the, uh, that... Uh, money into some sort of social work and just close up shop because you've got no future church. That's what the media says. But that's not how God sees it. The church is not irrelevant. The church is a lighthouse. It's a rescue centre where you snatch perishing souls that are bound for hell and bring them to Christ. C.T. Studd was, a, was the celebrity cricketer in his day in England in the 19th century. And uh, one day he and six other guys who had brilliant futures ahead of them gave it all up uh, to go to China and become missionaries. They were known as the, the Cambridge Seven, very famous in their day. And he once wrote this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What an attitude. What an attitude. And we, we need that today because the church is a preview of where God is taking history. We need to get grasp the bigger picture and see that God is actually doing extraordinary things because one day we'll see all things gathered together under Christ and we have a foretaste of that now. You see, when we gather every Sunday, we just have, it's not simply church assembly. I actually think it's a dress rehearsal. A dress rehearsal for that great and glorious day when we, together with the whole church, will gather around God's throne lost in wonder, love, and praise. Think of Revelation 7, 9 that we're thinking about last night. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm, palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And we get a glimpse there of what the future looks like, that heaven will be full of worshippers, worshipping the Lord for all that he's done. One day everything will be summed up in Christ. You see, what's God doing right now? He's gathering worshippers, ordinary people like you and me, to come and to know him and to love him and to serve him, and that comes from many different countries across the world. And that means that mission local and overseas, it needs to be at the top of the agenda of any congregation. Satan loves to see it drop down because sometimes we say we're too busy, we haven't got resources and so on, but it needs to be right at the top. If the church is going to be faithful and keep on growing, it does take hard work. But we need to keep on thinking about where it comes in our budget, for example. 
where it comes in in our prayers. We need to think those things through. We need to make sacrifices sometimes so that people in the local area will hear about Jesus and come to know him. And it's great to hear about the opportunities that will come to you as a church with the, uh, the university coming to town uh, for, just for the great gospel growth that can take part there. I think sometimes we have conversations with people and we don't realise that sometimes gospel conversations can just have incredible effects, incredible ripple effects down through history that we can't begin to see at our point in time, but God knows all about. Let me close with this story. Um, we've got a couple that are serving overseas in South America. And they spent three or four years of their lives going to Bible college and preparing to go overseas and to serve. And they were told that the place where they were going eventually to serve was just a beautiful postcard um, picture place. And so they went, they finally left Sydney, went to South America, went to the capital city, to the mission headquarters, and they had uh, good orientation there for two weeks. You know, good coffee, good fellowship, good internet. Life was good. Got on a plane, went to the new place that they were going to go and serve. And this is what they wrote. And I've never, ever come across a first prayer letter uh, sent to Australia like this before. The one thing that struck us was that this place wasn't pretty. There were mounds of dirt across the road, trucks bellowing smoke as we got out of the taxi. The place which was to be our home was not what we had imagined. All we wanted was to be back home. After getting our daughter to bed, we sat down and looked at each other with tears in our eyes and wondered what we'd done. It felt as if we walked into a ghost town. I've often wondered, what stopped that couple, what stopped them from getting on the first plane back to Australia? Because I think they're pretty, pretty strong temptation to do that. You know, this is, this is hopeless. This is not what we wanted to be. And I think it was simply this, that they knew that this was where God had placed them. They knew that the people in that city that need to hear about Jesus, they knew that they had the best news in the world, and they knew that one day everything will be summed up in Christ. Yes, mission's hard work, but it's worth doing it because it's God's mission. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and praise you that you call us to think and to act uh, like mission-minded people. And we pray that as you read the scriptures, you might continue to thrill us uh, with what you're doing in this world. Uh, we thank you for what you've done in the Lord Jesus, and we thank you that one day we will see everything summed up in him so please take us, we ask, and use us to achieve your purposes so that we might play our part, so that many people might be gathered around your throne on that final day, giving you praise and glory. And we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.